Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you listen to when you are trying to make a decision? Who do you go to for advice? Do you have a metaphorical angel on one shoulder and devil on the other? Andrea surprised me in the first service, but I knew it was coming this year. So when I, when I Googled this whole concept of having an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, or I researched it, which pretty much is Googling it, uh, a blog post came up. And it turns out that, at least according to this blog writer, so it must be true, is on the internet, um, Origin of Alexandria presented this concept in late in the third century. So it was a sermon I hadn't heard before. Or maybe some of you have. Um, and uh, he wrote in homily 12, to everyone there are two attending angels, the angel of justice and the other of wickedness. If there be good thoughts in our hearts and if righteousness be welling up in our soul, it can scarcely be doubted that an angel of the Lord is speaking to us. If, however, the thoughts of our hearts be turned to evil, an angel of the devil is speaking to us. What Origen says in all those words, that cartoon shows in a picture, right? And we each can choose to whether to listen to good advice or bad advice. And that's what Rehoboam was faced with in our reading this morning. He had a decision to make and he had to decide whose advice he was going to listen to. He needed to decide if he wanted to be a king like his father or if he wanted to be a king who was either nicer than or harsher than his father Solomon had been. Rehoboam is the, was the fourth king of Israel. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. Saul was the first king, and Saul was anointed king at the request of the people. They really wanted a king, and God kept telling them that they didn't need a king, and the people kept saying, but we want a king, and God said, we don't need a king, but we want a king, and so they ended up with Saul as a king, and he was not the king that they wanted. So God uh, gave them a second king, David, who was a good king, pretty he was a man after God's own heart. And David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, a temple to put the Ark of the Covenant in. And he moved the center of their religious and political life into Jerusalem, to the center of the nation, and he did his best to unite the nation. And David's son Solomon is the fourth king, and Solomon built a temple for the Ark. He built a temple and a palace, and, uh, but it came at great cost. Great cost to the people because they were taxed very high to pay for this building. And they were forced to, to build these structures. The, the cost was borne by the people. So when Solomon died, the people had had enough. They had had enough. And so when Rehoboam became king, the kingdom was prosperous, but the people were not. In addition to a great divide socioeconomically in the kingdom, there was a divide geographically. And those northern tribes, the northern part of the, of the kingdom was quite a ways from Jerusalem. And uh, 
They were resented having been made to pay for and work hard to build both a temple and a palace in Jerusalem where they rarely went. So that's where our story begins. It begins with Jeroboam entering the story. Jeroboam had been a, a supervisor of the work gangs from the north. And uh, he did that well. He was a leader among people. And he had, there was a prophecy that uh, w- was made reference to in our reading from Ahijah the prophet. Who said that Jeroboam would lead the northern people away from the southern kingdom. And when King Solomon, before he died, when he heard of that prophecy, he didn't care much for it. And uh, so he, he wanted to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam, not wanting to die, left, and he went to Egypt. So when Jeroboam hears that King Solomon has died, Jeroboam comes back. And that's what happens in our reading this morning. Jeroboam has come back. He still is a leader among those in the north, and he goes to and meets with a new king, Rehoboam, and he says, you know, I want reconciliation. I would love for the north to, to, to be united again with the southern kingdom. And the only way to do that for us to, to, to honor you as our king is if you decide to be a king nothing like your father was. And uh, if you become less harsh, then we will be a part of the, this united kingdom. So Rehoboam has a decision to make, says, give me three days to ponder it. He first talks to his father's advisors, to the the elders, the wise people in the community. And they're like, they saw the cost that building the temple and the palace had cost. They saw how much it had impacted the people. And they said, "Be, be kinder than your father. Lighten up. If you will be a servant king to your people, they will serve you. They will be loyal to you. This is the way to garner their support and to unite the kingdom. We'll call that the good advice, the angelic advice. And then Rehoboam no doubt had this group of boys that he ran around with growing up. And so he asked them what they thought. And they're like, are you a bigger man than your dad? If you want to show how tough you are, You should be an even harsher king. You should be even more brutal than your father. You should use a whip that is even more damaging than the whip that your father used upon the people. And Rehoboam heard this, what we'll call the bad advice, the evil advice, the devil advice, and that's the advice that he listened to. So Jeroboam says, all right, You've made your decision. Me and the northern tribes, the northern part of the kingdom, are seceding. And uh, from there, he established a new kingdom, the northern kingdom. It ended up being the the ten ten tribes that had been in the north. And uh, they became what we refer to now as, as Israel. The two southern kingdoms, which included Jerusalem and the temple and the palace, became the kingdom of Judah. It was a couple of centuries after this divide happened that the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria, and they ceased to exist. They never existed again. And uh, about 150 years after that, the southern kingdom was uh, conquered, and uh, Jerusalem destroyed, and the temple destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC, when all of the, the, the Jews were sent out 
not all, many of the Jews were sent into Babylonian captivity. And uh, eventually they could go back to Jerusalem, but not back to the temple that Solomon had built because it no longer existed. In the span of four kings, the nation of Israel was no longer a united nation. They weren't even a nation at this point. Do you think it's possible that that was God's plan all along? When he consented to giving the people a king, did he set about trying to demonstrate to them how bad an idea it was? It didn't turn out so good. It didn't last so long. The story of God's people could very easily have ended here. Could have ended here. But it didn't. Throughout all those political and religious maneuverings and power struggles, through weddings and philandering and, and uh, alliances, through Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam, God remained faithful to God's people. You see the nation divided politically, but God remained the God of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The people turned their back on God, but God continued to turn toward the people, offering them the opportunity to come back to God, perhaps not back to the temple, maybe not even back to Jerusalem, but back into a relationship with God, the God who created them, the God who had called them his own, the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. God welcomed the people back even when they didn't have a building to worship him in time and time again. You may have picked up on the fact that it's Reformation Sunday. We didn't um, sing Luther's big hymn to begin with, but we are wearing red. It's Reformation Sunday, and today we remember and commemorate another significant split in our history as the people of God. That split happened more recently than the dividing of the kingdom, but it was still a pretty long time ago, over 500 years. Martin Luther, like Jeroboam, was suggesting a different path for the people of God. Jeroboam was, uh, I would say, more direct. He went and he met with Rehoboam. Martin Luther uh, posted a note, or 95 of them, on the church door and then stood back and said, let's see what happens. Um, I suspect that Jeroboam, like Luther, would have preferred to have the changes that he was suggesting be implemented rather than refused. I would imagine Jeroboam would have rather had the nation be united and not divided, much like Luther would have preferred to have the church remain united. But that's not what happened. Both Jeroboam and Luther were compelled to speak up in response to the high cost of building a worship space and a home for God. For Jeroboam, it was the temple. For Luther, it was St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The intentions of both building projects were good. However, the methods were not so good. And it didn't take long for the project itself and the building itself to become the focus of the people's passion and attention rather than the God whom they were initially building those buildings for. Thankfully, God was able to use both of those building projects and even the division that resulted from them for God's own glory. 
For you see, God remained faithful to the Israelites and the Judeans. God remained faithful to to the Roman Catholics and the Protestants. Just as God has remained faithful to us through all the divisions that we might have experienced as a denomination, as a synod, sometimes as a congregation, the divisions that we experience in our families, in our communities, in our nation. God is indeed faithful. And my friends, God doesn't pick sides. God doesn't fight on one side or the other. No, God, when conflict comes, God seeks peace. Peace. A peace which surpasses our human understanding. When people imagine they're fighting God's wars for God, God instead is praying for peace among God's people. A peace that can only come through Jesus Christ in whom we have our unity. The people of God were divided in our Old Testament reading today, thousands of years ago. The church was divided again just over 500 years ago. We squabbled over a building, how it was fundraised. Who should be in charge of picking the the paint color, probably. And I've got to imagine throughout, God was praying for the peace of God's people. We have a prayer here that we've been saying for the last three or four years. It's a prayer grounded in in the prayer that Jesus himself prayed to God the Father in John's Gospel. It's a prayer where Jesus says, let my followers be one with each other as I am one in you. It's a prayer for unity, not uniformity. The type of unity that can only come through Jesus Christ. When we see Christ in each other, when we understand that together we are the body of Christ, one and another, Together, friends, we'll receive the body of Christ here, but we are the body of Christ here. Is that good news or bad? (laughs) I suggest that we turn to the one, we get our advice from the one who prayed that we might be one, the one who gave his very life for us. I suggest that we turn to Jesus Christ for advice, on how we might be one. Not divided, but one in him as he is one in the Father. Amen.